are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. If you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, if you put your hand up, our ushers will give a Bible to you. So they're coming up and down the aisle right now. And so if you put your hand up, they'll get one to you. And you can keep the Bible if you don't, if you don't own one. Uh, last Friday, Kim and I had dinner reservations. And uh, I don't like to be late uh, for reservations. Um, I don't use island time on this. I like to be on time uh, for things. And uh, so I get a little anxious uh, sometimes when, we, when we're going out for dinner. And so what I did was I, I put the address of the place in the GPS. And uh, the GPS on my phone, and so it, it popped up these four possible ways that we could take to get where we were going. And then the GPS lady spoke up. And she said, of the four possible ways, this way is the best way to go. Now here's the thing about the GPS lady. Sometimes, sometimes she tells you, this is the best way to go. You're going to get there the quickest if you take this route. And then you get on this route and you realize this was not the best way to go. There's a bunch of roads that she hadn't accounted for. Uh, she's, uh, now she's going into the recalculating. She's asking you to do a U-turn, but you're on the 401 doing 120. And so you're thinking, how can I make this U-turn? Now the Bible is not like this. The Bible doesn't give us four possible ways to live our life. The Bible tells us one way to live our life if we want it to have lasting value. And Paul, at this point in, this, in, in the letter, is going to tell the Corinthians uh, uh, church the one way they should live their life if they want it to have lasting value and meaning. He's going to show them the way of love. He's going to point them in the, in the direction of love. And if you, if you read this letter and uh, you read the first 12 chapters, what you realize is that this is a church that needed to grow in love. Uh, they were arguing and divided over theology and social class. They were arguing about who was following the right apostle. They were divided over spiritual gifts. And so when Paul writes this, he's not writing something uh, so we would have something nice to read at weddings, though that's okay. He's writing to a bunch of selfish, self-centered Christians because he wants them to know that there's a better way for them to live. He, he wants them to love each other. And it's the same thing that he wants uh, for us. He wants us to love one another the way Jesus loves. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's, let's look at what he says. Uh, at the, uh, the end of chapter 12, uh, he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And in chapter 13, verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. The first thing that Paul tells us about love is he tells us about the the necessity of love. He tells us about the necessity of love. Verse uh, 1 to 3, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and, and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul's saying here, you can, you can use your spiritual gifts. You can speak in such a way that people are blown away when your mouth is open. You can understand all the mysteries in the Bible. You can have all the knowledge. You can, you can give away all the money that you have. You can even give your life for Jesus, he says. You can, you can do all of those things, but you, if you don't have love, he says you have nothing. He says the person who does these things... If, if they don't have love, they gain nothing, and they are nothing. See, you can have a, a, a really great car, a Lamborghini. You can have that. But if you don't have a battery and gas, it doesn't work. And probably some other things. But those things are a necessity. You need them for the car to do the thing that it, you want it to do. They're a necessity. It's the same thing with love. It's a necessity. We need love to be behind all the things that we do. Love for the Lord and love for other people if we want those things to have value and worth. And Paul here, what he's doing is he's refocusing their eyes. He's, he's refocusing them. He's getting them to see that the spiritual gifts and all these things that they prize so much, that they hold up as so high, they have in such high esteem, he's trying to show them that these things are nothing if they're not filled with love, if they're not being done in love. See, it's, it's love that shows that the Spirit is really active and at work in our hearts. It's not just our spiritual, it's not just spiritual gifts. It's the love behind those things that show that the Spirit is working. We can lead small groups, we can preach sermons, we can sponsor kids overseas, help our neighbors, give great biblical counsel, serve in ministries, feed the poor. We can do all of those things. But if we're doing those things with, with uh, pride and for selfish reasons so that we would get glory, if we're doing it for those reasons, it, it's all nothing. Because pride and selfishness, it takes the good out of all of it. They're supposed to be done in love. See, you can give you can give your wife flowers, but if you just give her flowers because you're supposed to, it's not as special. You can give your husband, you know, tickets to the, to the Raptor game or something like that, but if you're doing that, if you're giving it to him because you just want him out of the house because you find him annoying, it means nothing. Those things are supposed to be done in love. That's why first. Corinthians 16, verse 14, the same letter, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do, Marv, every single thing that you do in your life, it should be done in love. And so if the Bible is calling us to do things in love, then we need to know what love is. We need to, we need to know what it is. 
See, because the world tells us that love is just a feeling. Or that it's just physical passion. And, or that it just it doesn't exist. But it does. And Paul here, he gives us a picture of love. He describes it for us. And that's a point number two. Paul gives us the, the description of love. Verse 4, he says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so like a a boxer who goes on a flurry of punches, Paul now goes on a, a flurry of verbs in order to describe for us what love actually is. See, because love is not just about words. It's about action. And you've heard that before. Love is action. That's why he uses verbs. It's, an, it's action. It's what we do. It's not just what we say. It's easy for me to look at a guy and say, hey, love you, bro. That's easy to do. It's a whole other thing, though, to get up at 2 a.m. and go pick that guy up because he's stuck on the side of the road. You know, getting out of my nice warm bed to go do the loving Thing. It's, a, it's a whole other thing to go help that guy out when he's, his entire house needs to be repainted or he's moving across the city and I need to show up and help him lift some real heavy boxes. It's a whole other thing to sit that guy down and say, hey, I love you and the way that you're living right now doesn't align with the word of God and so some things need to change. It's easy to say, hey, I love you. But it's not just about the things we say. It's what we do. It's actions. And so love always puts itself on display. And so Paul is going to go back and forth. He's going to go back and forth in order to describe for us what love does and what love does not do. And the first thing he tells us is that love is patient. He says love is patient. Now, when Paul is saying here that love is patient, he's not saying uh, that he's not talking about being willing to wait when your doctor's office is moving slow. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being patient with those who offend you. He's talking about not going after people in revenge when they have offended you. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's to not take revenge on people. It's to be patient with the people in our lives, trusting that maybe they're, they're going to see the things that they've done and, and they're going to turn. This is actually the way God treats us. This is the way God acts towards us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, all of us have sinned against God. Some of us are living in complete sin right now. But God doesn't go after us. The Bible says that he's patient. He gives room. He, he's, he's patient with us. He's giving us an opportunity, the Bible says, to repent, to turn to him. That's all repentance means. It means to stop living in, in, in a sinful and destructive ways, to stop living in a way that's really harming yourself, and to turn to the Lord and say, I'm going to live in the way in which you're calling me to live, because I know that's the best way. The Bible says God is patient. He's giving us an opportunity to repent. 
And so if you're here right now and you're not a believer in Jesus, you know you haven't turned from your sin, well, God is being lovingly patient with you. And he's giving you an opportunity to turn from your sin and to turn to him. His love is, is, is causing him to patiently give you an opportunity and you can turn to the Lord today. You can do that right now. And if you're here and you're, you have trusted in Jesus, you're, you're a believer, then this is the way. Then this is the way God wants us to treat people in our life. To be patient with them. Not to, not to take revenge on them when they've sinned against us. Next, Paul says that love is kind. He says love is kind. Love is warm, generous, and thoughtful, and helpful towards others. Kindness is an active goodness towards other people. It's a, a willingness to do anything you can to enhance the life of another person. And then he tells us love does not envy. Love doesn't want what other people have. Love is content. It understands that if there was a particular thing that I needed, that, that, that if God, God knew I needed it, he would give it to me. He's that kind of a good father. And so if he's keeping something away from me, it's because I don't need it. And so there's a contentment in there, in the loving person's life. And a loving person, someone who's content, can celebrate when other people are experiencing success. Have you ever noticed that, how hard it is? When somebody else is experiencing success, you know, they get a promotion or something like that, and they're just something kind of bubbling in your stomach? That's envy. But a loving, a loving person, that someone's committed to love, they don't, they don't envy other people. And then he tells us that it doesn't boast. Love is not constantly calling attention to uh, itself. It's not strolling around. The person who committed to love isn't strolling around constantly telling everybody about how great they are and all the accomplishments that they, they have. They're not sort of unveiling their resume every chance that they get. They understand, they understand that it's impossible to love and boast at the same time. They get that it's impossible to love and boast at the same time. Because when you are boasting, the only person you're loving in that moment, when I drift into boasting, the only person I'm loving is myself. I am desperately trying to get center stage. And what I'm doing is I'm trying hard to get every single person to love me and worship me. That's all that's going on. And the only person I'm loving is myself. It's impossible to love and boast at the same time time. And Paul tells us that it's not arrogant. Love is not filled with pride. The loving person is not convinced that they're the most important person walking the earth. They're not puffed up. Instead, instead they're filled with humility. And they're filled with humility because they understand that without Jesus, they're nothing. That they, that they, like the song says, that they need Jesus every day, every single hour. And understanding that produces this deep humility in their life. It's not puffed up. And then he tells us that love is not rude. A love takes the likes and dislikes of other people into consideration. Love, love doesn't disregard how other people think and feel. There, there's a sensitivity to the person committed to love. They're aware that there's cultural differences between us. And so the loving person goes out of their way, out of their way to not, to not intentionally offend another person. 
Love's not rude. And it says it doesn't insist on its own way. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not self-seeking. Loving people don't just think about themselves. They think about other people. They think and, and they do things that benefit other people. They're willing. They don't insist on their own way. They're willing to lay down their, their will so that somebody else will benefit. And then it says love is not irritable. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't, it doesn't give people the this, this silent, uh, silent uh, treatment. Instead, love is slow to become angry. Slow to become uh, angry with the people in their life. Now, I know you're sitting there and maybe thinking, uh, Marv, isn't there times in the Bible where you see people getting angry? Aren't there moments where we're reading a passage of Scripture and we see that somebody, they're, they're mad right now? Yes. In Acts 17, it says Paul was angry when he looked when he looked and saw the, in Athens, when he saw that the city was full of idols, it says he was angry. He was provoked, the Bible says. In John chapter 2, it says Jesus was angry because he saw all the money changers in the temple. They were doing things in the temple that they're not supposed to be doing. It says, they says that they were, they were angry. But here's the thing. They were angry in those moments because God was being dishonored. They weren't angry because their day was interrupted. Somebody sort of came into their office or interrupted them while they were in the middle of a book or something like that, and they weren't expecting it. They weren't angry at that. They were angry because God was being dishonored. And so it's right for us to be angry when God is being dishonored and disrespected. It's right. It's right for us to be angry and, and, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when another human being is being treated like less than a human being, being treated like an animal. It's right for us to be angry in those moments. If you left church today and you, you walked out and there was a 17-year-old beating up a little kid, that would, that would bother you. And it should. In those moments, we should be angry and we should do things to put those kinds of injustices to an end. And so it's, it's right. There's moments when... When, uh, when anger is appropriate, but it's only in the moments where God is being dishonored and another human being is being treated like an animal. We should be angry in those moments and step in. Then he tells us that love is not resentful. Love is not resentful because it keeps no records of wrongs. Love forgives. See, the loving person isn't filing away. You know, a little drawer, like filing away the things that people do to them. And saying, so they can go back to it later and say, yeah, you did that. Yeah, last year you did that. Oh, you did that again. Oh, yep, that's right. They don't file things away. David Garland explains well what, what uh, Paul is saying here. He says, love is patient, uh, painfully aware of evil and does not ignore it. But love tries to overcome it with good and does not keep a record to return evil for evil. People committed to love forgive. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness is easy. I'm not saying that it's easy to forgive. Sometimes people do things to us and it hurts deeply. And you wonder, like, am I ever going to be able to get over this? 
because I'm hurt. And so it's, it's not easy to forgive, but a loving person always forgives. And here's why. They understand that they've sinned against a holy God, a good God, and that that holy and good God has forgiven them. And so they, they, they look at the forgiveness that they've been given by God, and in light of that forgiveness, as hard it is, as it is, they can turn and forgive the person who has harmed them. They're not resentful. Instead, they forgive. And it says, it does not rejoice, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not celebrate the sins of others. We live in a world that celebrates sin. But sin is destructive. Sin only does harm to our life. And so it's not something to be celebrated. It's something that should get exposed for, for the wrong that it is. And here's the other thing. The loving person doesn't celebrate when sin comes out about another person. They don't celebrate and feel superior to another person when they hear like, oh yeah, yeah, that person's, you know, they suspected and there it is. They don't celebrate that. Instead, they're, they're burdened for the person. They feel for that person. It probably moves them to pray for the person rather than feeling superior to them. Instead, love celebrates, celebrates truth. Love rejoices when, when truth is being uh, promoted. It rejoices when the, the character of God is being lifted up and talked about, when the, the gospel is being promoted. It celebrates when people are living their life according to God's word, going in the direction that God calls us to go. It celebrates that. Not, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth. And then Paul tells us, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when he says, a love bears all things, uh, he means uh, that loving people don't stop loving even though people keep offending them. They just continue to love. And, and they also, they, they handle the sins of people in such a way, they handle it in such a way that it doesn't shame them publicly. They don't put people's sin out there so it publicly shames them. Another translation says, love always protects. And so the loving person doesn't sweep sin under the rug. They don't sweep it away. They, they talk to the person about it, but they're not updating their Facebook status with it. They're not tweeting it. They're not putting it on Snapchat. They're not doing any of those things. They're protecting the person's reputation. They're, they're talking to them. They're going in private, and they're saying, the things that you're doing help me understand. But they're not shaming the person. They're looking to intentionally protect the person's reputation. And then it says, love believes all things. Now, that doesn't mean that love is gullible, like it believes anything it hears. What he's saying is that love believes the best about people. And it, and it, and it tries to see people in the best light possible. And so love, it gives other people the benefit of the doubt. See, the thing is, is that when, when we're suspicious and cynical about people, we're not loving them. 
when we're suspicious and cynical about the people in our lives, we're not loving them. What we, what we need to be doing is, is to, to, uh, to, to trust the intentions of those people as much as possible. Then he says, uh, love hopes all things. This means that love hopes the best for others. See, when people fail, when people are constantly failing, what happens is that the world gives up on them. They just say, well, we're just, we're just done with that guy. He's just, all he ever does is mess everything up. Let's just move on from him. See, the believer, they never do that. They don't give up on people in their life. They, they understand that if the person's a believer, even though they're failing and maybe they're on their, falling on their face right now, they understand that God has started a good work in that person and that he's going to bring that good work to completion. And so again, they, instead of giving up on the person, they're praying for the person. They're, they're believing that the promise that God has made to, to complete the good work he started in us, that he's going to do it. And, and they don't give up on the people in their life who, who aren't trusting in the Lord. They understand that it's very possible for the Lord to save that person and to change their life completely. And so they hope for the best for the person. There's no hopeless cases in, in their life. It hopes all things. And then it says it endures all things. This means the loving person loves people right to the end. They never stop loving people. They, they endure through the trials that come in their marriages. They endure through the trials that come in friendship. They endure through the trials that come in complicated and weird work environments. They push through those things in order to love people to the end. They do this because they're, they're committed. They're committed to the way of love. And so they endure. They push through all things. And maybe you're you're here and you're thinking, I, get, I hear you, Marv, but there's some people in my life right now and I'm not even sure if I love them. I'm not even sure if I love them. Never mind trying to love them all the way to the end. I'm not even, I don't even know if I feel love for them right now. Well, C.S. Lewis has a great answer to this. And Clive says, do not waste time bothering whether you love them. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When we're behaving as if we love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you, you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. And so the, the, as we start doing loving actions to, towards other people, our love for them grows. But if we do the opposite, then our hatred for the person will grow. But we're supposed to just love, just enter in. And so this is the description of love. Now you're probably sitting there and thinking, wow, this feels overwhelming. I know I was. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty long list and it's a pretty, it's a pretty heavy list, I, I find. And, uh, and if you're like me, you're thinking, can anybody love like this? Like, as I was, I, was, I was looking at the passage all week, I was thinking, can anyone love like this? Can I love like this? The answer is yes. We can love this way. But we can only love like this when our eyes come off of ourselves. When my eyes come off of myself and they go on to Jesus. 
They go on to the Savior. And then we can love. Because when your eyes come off of yourself, when you stop thinking about yourself and you look to Jesus, what you will see is the embodiment of love. Jesus is the definition of love. And so when you take your eyes off yourself and you look at Jesus, what you see is that he was patient and kind with his disciples. Patient with them, kind to them. He was not arrogant or rude, but he was a humble servant. Mark 10, 45 tells us. He loved his disciples right to the end. John 13, 1. He didn't insist on his own way. Instead, he, he willingly laid down his will and went to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus didn't insist on his own way. He did the thing that benefited all of us. And Jesus didn't keep records of wrongs. Instead, Jesus, while he's on the cross, while he's being nailed to the cross, he's forgiving the people who are nailing him to the cross. And so we can truly love others, but it's only when I'm trusting in Jesus, when I'm looking at Jesus, when I'm seeing him, as Galatians 2.20 says, giving himself for me, loving me, and giving himself for me. When I see Jesus rescuing me from the punishment of sin, dying on the cross for me, when I see that, when I'm looking at that, thinking about him, then the Spirit fills us, and then love flows out of our life. Then we're able to love the people who seem so difficult to love. Our love flows from his love. And there's no true love outside of Jesus. And so I can love the people in my life, but it, it's not it's not by trusting in Marv or trying really hard, like, yeah, I'm just going to bear all things. It's not by doing that. It's by saying, I need Jesus. Jesus has saved me. Jesus loves me perfectly. And so because of the love of Jesus, I can turn around and love the people in my life. It's eyes off me and onto my Savior. So Paul gives us the, the description of love and now he tells us what will happen to love. He tells us that love is a necessity, that we, it has to be there. He describes love for us. And now he tells us what's going to happen to love. And this is our third point, the immortality of love. He tells us about the immortality of love. Verse 8 says, love never ends. And if you look over in verse 13, it says, love abides. And so Paul here is telling us love is, is never going to end. There's, there's lots of things in our life that we'd love to go on forever. There's lots of things that we would love for it to, for it to not come uh, to an end. A good party. You ever been to a good party? You're thinking, I could stay at this thing forever. I just wish it would not come to an end. Good food. I've got, a, I've got a great friend in this church, Jason Blythe. When this guy cooks, I'm thinking, I wish this would go on forever. It's just great. A powerful times of worship. You know, Jameson's up here sometimes and we're singing and I'm thinking, I want to stay in this gym forever. I want to sing that song again and again and again. I just, want, I just don't want it to come to an end. If you're a student, March break. 
You just wish March break could go on forever. You're thinking about that teacher with the coffee breath, and you're like, I don't want to go back to that guy. I just want it to go on and on and on. A great song. This is why they created the repeat button. Just a, there's a good song. You're thinking, I, I could just listen to that over and over and over. It's just so good. Beautiful summer days. Sometimes I'm sitting in my backyard and, the, you know, when it's around 5 o'clock, the sun starts to go down a little bit and then just as a little breeze just kind of blows through. And I'm thinking, yes. I just, just keep sending that breeze, Lord. I don't want that to end. The thing is, though, these things do end. But that's not the case with love. Paul tells us that love is immortal. It's going to go on and on forever. See, spiritual gifts and good deeds, those things are going to come to an end. But that's not the case with love. Love is going to go on into eternity. And this is one of the reasons why love is superior. But I want to give you three other reasons why, why love is superior. The first one is, is because we will love forever. You and I are going are to love forever. See, the thing is, when, when we trusted in Jesus, the thing that happened was that Jesus took my old stony heart and he gave me a new heart, a heart of flesh. And so then I was able to love the Lord and love other people. But because, because uh, the flesh is still real, it goes after my new heart. It tries to deceive my new heart into going into old patterns. And so some days it's a little messy. One day I'm loving people really well, and then the next day it's sort of up and down. But there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return, and I'm going to see him, and the Bible says I'm going to be made like him. We are going to be made like him, and we are going to be able to love perfectly all the way into eternity. So we're going to love a forever, and this next one, because we're headed to a place of love. We're headed to a place of love. There's this song, and the, the lyric in the song says, heaven is a place on earth. No. Heaven is a place on earth, it says. I don't know where that place is. Because uh, this is not like heaven. This is not a place of love. This is a place where sin is promoted as good, where friends betray each other, where countries invade other countries, where innocent children are taken advantage of, where kids disrespect their parents, where people are walking away from their marriages left, right, and center, where, where music and magazines degrade women, where God is shoved into a corner as non-existent and irrelevant and not important. This is not like heaven. Earth is nothing like heaven. And so listen to the picture that Revelation paints for us of what, what heaven looks like. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what's happening here? It's a worship party. 
and it's filled with love and unity. Notice it says that there's people from all tribes and every nation and language. They're all together, and there's no strife. This is not like the 6 o'clock news. When we turn on the news and all we see is strife and people fighting against one another, what you see here is love and unity, people from every part of the world together before the God who saved them, and they're worshiping him together in love and unity, not in strife, not in what we see every day. This is heaven. This is the place that you and I are headed to. This is where we're going. It's a place of love. And that love is going to go on forever. And this is a party that every single person in this room should want to be at. And every person in this room can be at this party. Every, per, every person in this room can be at this worship service. And all you got to do is, is trust in Jesus. If your faith is in Christ, you will be here. A place of love and unity. Number three. Because God will love us forever. The third reason why I love is another reason why love is superior is because God will love us forever. God loves us now, and he will love us all the way into eternity. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. You hear that? God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. My love for you is never going to come to an end. God loves us perfectly. And so what this means is that you and I don't have to, we don't have to run around desperately trying to get other people to love us. The God who controls everything, the God of the universe loves us. And so his love should free us to love other people, and he's going to love us into eternity. Paul tells us all of this about love because he wants us to pursue it. He wants us to go after it. See, God's word will never lead us astray. It's not like the GPS that gives you these four ways to, to go. It gives you one way, and it's the way of love. It's the, the Bible says it's the more excellent way. This is the way in that, uh, that God's calling us to take. This is the route. This is the way to go if you want your life to have value and worth. It's to go the way of love. And here's the, the good promise, that when we commit to love God and love other people, to love the people in our life, God promises to love us all the way through, to love us right to the end. And so all of us, this is the way. This is the way we need to take, to commit ourselves to the way of love. And God's going to be right there with us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And we see the, the greatest expression of your love for us in, in sending Jesus uh, to, to earth, to live and die for our sins, to pay the debt that we owed. Lord, we, we see your love in that. 
And God, thank you for what you're telling us about love, what it means for us to love one another. Thank you for telling us the way in which you want us to live, you, the way in which you want us to treat one another. And thank you that in Christ, when we have faith in Jesus, that we can do the thing that you're calling us to do. This is something that we can walk in every day, but it's only when we're trusting in your son, when we're looking to Jesus to give us the strength to, 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 to be filled by your spirit to, to do what you're calling us to. And God, thank you that you promised to love us all the way to the end. And so I pray, Lord, that your love for us, your unending love for us would compel us to live in such a way that brings you glory and benefits those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.